Good morning. morning. Anyone really excited it's getting a little bit warmer? Even if it's temporary. Okay. If I say that and this week we get a blizzard, I'm sorry. (laughs) Let me pray this morning as we get get into the sermon. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you. And we know that separate from you, we really struggle to do what's right to do what's true. We know that we, we both need your Holy Spirit to help us. We also know that, that Jesus died for us. And so, Lord, today as we read your word, open our hearts and our minds to what it says. Show us what Paul is trying to teach Timothy and trying to teach us. Lord, just help us to see what we need to do and be this week. As we leave here, And go out into a world that is very different from the one true kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. My name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church. I'd like to welcome you here this morning. We're excited you're here. We're excited because what's the best part of being at church on a Sunday morning? Everyone has a different reason, so I'm going to ask some different reasons. What, what are some things that you like about Sunday morning? You can shout it out. Fellowship. Being with believers. You know, you guys didn't know there was a test this morning, so some of you are walking out the back door. Um, so, what? Hearing the word. Okay. So that... A uh, rock and worship band. She's on the worship team, so that's a little biased. I don't know. <laughs> so, so... There's some things we like about church, and so what I'm going to tell you this morning is something that may make some of you feel uncomfortable, because this passage that we're going, to, we're going to go through today is something that is for everyone. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for people serving in ministry in some form. It's not that. It's for everybody, and sometimes we miss the fact, because honestly, as I was preparing, it's in 2 Timothy 4, the first eight verses, when I went there and I looked at this, there's some people that just look at this as this is just something that basically pastors are supposed to do. And I thought, well, if it was just pastors, the church would be a lot smaller. The, I'm talking about the international, the church in general. Because you wouldn't have people actually getting saved. Because on Sunday mornings, I get to talk to you guys, but during the week, you have so many different connections and impact in so many different ways, greater than I could ever have. So... This, this leadership that Paul describes here is ready to tell others about Jesus and is faithful to the end. If you have the app, you can follow along with us. Our app is in the uh, iTunes store, um, the Apple App Store, sorry, and uh, the Google Play Store. So you can follow along, and at the top, you can click the link to go to notes. Today, we're going to talk about something that we are sometimes unprepared for. When you come in Sunday morning, the reason I asked you what you like is that's what you want to experience. That's what you're looking forward to. That's what you're ready for. But anyone ever have a Sunday morning where they walk into church and something happens unexpected? You spill your coffee in the back row and it goes all the way to the front, right? Okay? Or maybe, or maybe a kid decides that they're not going to wear a diaper, then they should have a diaper, and you don't realize it until you get to church... And there's a big problem. I mean, there's things that get in our way and we can't... Pastor John, are you telling me you have to be ready for everything? Kind of. But our lives are filled with preparation. 
Okay? We prepare for things. We go to school to prepare for the workplace. We, we prepare in our jobs so we can get better at what we're doing or get a promotion. But leaders can't be just good preparers because you can't prepare for everything, right? I mean, if that was the case, if we were just good preparers, I think everyone in this room would be a good CEO. We'd, have, we'd all have leadership influence. We, we'd, have, we'd have different jobs. We'd have great grades in school. No one would get an F in, in, in school. We'd all get A's, right? If we were great preparers. But, but the idea of being ready is ready for something that you're, you're not an, uh, anticipating. And so I'm going to use an analogy this morning that I think will break this down a little bit better for you. I'm going to talk about monkeys and moose. Okay? Monkeys and moose. And so I know some of you are like, Monkeys, moose, the, the plural of moose is not meese, okay? Just so we're clear. Moose is plural, too. I learned that when I was in Alaska one time. So monkeys are these things that come up in your day or week. Let me give you an example of what a day looks like when you're basically chasing monkeys all day long. You wake up, you set your alarm 20 minutes early so that everyone else won't be awake, but when you set your alarm, you realize that your kids are already awake and they're helping themselves to breakfast. You begin to help them, and then that 20 minutes that you planned to spend time with Jesus or something else is out the window because you're, already, you're taking care of breakfast already. And then you begin to help them a little bit, and you realize that by the time you got to work, you're 10 minutes late, and you've got this to-do list of tasks before you start, that, guess what happens? There's a problem that needs to be fixed immediately. It has to be fixed right then. You walk in, and then the next thing that happens is you realize you can't get to the to-do list yes, let, yet because yesterday you forgot to email this really important distributor for your company and you have to get the email done and then by then it's one o'clock and you have to go to a late lunch. And by then, there's a bunch of other things as you come back to the office that you can't do and you realize all of a sudden it's six o'clock and you have to head home. And you go home, and your wife asks you, sorry guys, I'm picking on guys, just if you noticed a little bit. Or your husband, whatever, doesn't matter. And you go, I don't know what I accomplished today. They ask you, what happened today? I don't really know. That's chasing monkeys. You feel unproductive. You can't for the life of you tell, you, tell anyone what you accomplished because you just kept chasing after something else. But moose are what you really need to get to. Has anyone in the room ever seen a moose? Okay, moose are scary. They're like 1,300 pounds. They're huge. Monkeys, they're jumping on your back. If you've ever watched the movie Jungle Book, it's like where the bear is, there's monkeys jumping all over him, and he can't get anywhere. So monkeys are small things that just continually come at you. There's multiple monkeys. There might be three moose that you have. Moose are the top priorities. Moose is that to-do list that you knew you needed to get done by the time you leave work or left work, otherwise you're going to work all night. The big things that really matter, the non-negotiables. You know, we negotiate a lot of things in life, but these are the non-negotiables. For me, it's pretty simple. Spending time with Jesus, being a husband, being a father, and at church, it's really preaching. That's what it is. When, when monkeys get those out of whack, you know, like I'm, I'm chasing down monkeys instead of actually focusing on the moose, the big thing that's right in front of me, what happens? What do you guys think happens? 
I'll do a little like feedback. What do you think happens? You get irritated. You're stressed. You're not ready. You're not ready for anything, really. Because you're not ready to say no to these monkeys, and you get distracted from the moose. But you have to be ready for both. And that's the thing. When he says here, he's going to say, preach the word. Okay, so he doesn't give a qualifier. He doesn't say, oh, sometimes do that. Be ready for that sometimes. He says, be ready. It's as simple as being ready. I will tell you, it's never convenient to talk to someone about Jesus Christ. It's coming from your pastor. It's never convenient. Never convenient. It happens at the most inopportune times. It happens when you think, wait a second, I don't know what I should say here. I don't know why I'm saying it. I've got to go do this next thing because that next monkey is coming to stop you. So even if we're struggling and chasing monkeys, Paul is pretty clear that we need to be ready to preach to others always. He tells us what getting ready looks like for each of us. And then also, he, he talks about these distractions to being ready. And so today as we go through this, Think about things in your life that sound like those monkeys, the things that distract from what's most important. And I, I know I, uh, I talked really fast through that day, but I, I'd be willing to bet if I asked you guys to raise hands, some of you would say that's every day for you because that's what it feels like. And so I'm telling you right now, there is a better way. There is a way to lead both yourself and others well in this. So let's turn, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through verse 5. We're going to kind of go into verse, uh, verse 1 through 5 here. And I think it's really important, though, before I get started here, that the first line, listen to how important that line is. Paul is giving the, the highest possible emphasis on what needs to be done here in that first verse highest possible emphasis. To anyone that was following Christ, they would see this first verse and go, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Whatever it takes. You know when you're a kid and your parents get mad at you? You know what the worst thing they can say is usually? It's not, it's not I'm mad at you. It's not you're in trouble. It's I'm disappointed in you. And you know what? This right here has the emphasis of that, like, this is what you need to do. It's, the, it's the, the most possible emphasis you possibly could have. So let me read the first five verses here. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the judge, the, uh, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul is charging Timothy here. He's strongly encouraging him. This, this word is used to describe what it is in a court of law. I'm charging you to do this. This is, this, is, this is as strong as he can be. And if that was not enough, he's saying, this is in God's presence. And this is from Jesus, who is going to judge who? The living and the dead. This is, this is, he's come. Jesus has come. His kingdom has started. Timothy, listen to what I have say ne- to say next. That's what Paul says. And right there, right away, he's telling every single one of us 
leaders always need to be ready to preach the word of God. And you think of preaching as me on stage talking to a group of people. I'm not, that's not what this means. Preaching is telling other people about Jesus. It's as simple as that. Our responsibility is to be ready to preach. It literally means that. And so preaching should be constant, in season and out of season. Always ready. Whether it's convenient or it's not. Whether you feel like it or not. You ever have a moment where you're really low? And then someone asks a question and you really don't want to answer. You can totally like shuffle out of the spiritual conversation. If you feel like it or not, that's when we need to preach. It doesn't matter. And preaching should confront. I think we're afraid of confrontation. Have you ever noticed this, our culture now? You can't say anything. Like everything I say on a Sunday morning, even though if I'm just reading a verse, is offensive. I don't get it. You can't say anything. You can't do anything anymore. And so we're afraid of confrontation, but it's supposed to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. The good news of Jesus Christ always calls for repentance. It doesn't stop at, well, there's this Jesus guy, and he died on a cross, and really, you just need to know that. It's no, you need to repent. By its very nature, it's confrontational. We need to be corrected and called out and encouraged, corrected when we have wrong beliefs. I think, I think the thing that we're afraid of, because, because sometimes it's a lack of understanding of the Bible, is we're afraid of confronting someone else because we're not sure if what we know about the Bible is accurate. Can, I, I know I've had that problem before. I'm like, wait a second, what about this passage? What about this? You know, I'm, I'm not sure. There's some pretty clear passages about a lot of things in the Bible, if you look. So we need to be called out to get back on track with God. Encouraged. Encouraged when we have anxiety, fear, or heavy burdens. We, we, we forget that, that part, of, part of preaching is to encourage someone else. So when you, when you leave today and you go and you talk to someone as you leave, your responsibility is to encourage them, too. If you don't know them really well, the best thing you can do is encourage them. And then it comes to this last part, which we talked a little bit about patience last week. But patience, and then preaching should be continuous because it's with complete patience and teaching. Complete patience can only come from one source. No one's completely patient. The moment someone tells you they're completely patient, you should run from that person, Okay. You should run from them or take their wallet, okay? That's the only two things you can do. I'm serious. It doesn't make any sense. You can't be completely patient. It's impossible. Except for the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. The book of Galatians has the fruit of the Spirit, and you look at it, and it's patience. Let me put it this way. When I was a kid, my dad used to say this a lot. He used to say, you can't get apple juice out of an orange, it was his way of saying, like, nah, I'm not believing what you're saying, okay? You can't get complete patience separate from the Holy Spirit. It's, not, it's just not going to work. You can't be completely patient as a human being because you're still going to struggle, and the Holy Spirit's the only way we can be completely patient, so we need the Holy Spirit. So my, my second point here is, is rather interesting as a, as a follow-up to this. Leaders don't create echo chambers, and let me describe what an echo chamber is. It says, in verse 3, it says they endure, which means they accept, they, they, they listen to poor teaching. 
What an echo chamber is, is like this. Right now, can you hear the echo in my voice? Hello! Hello! You only hear one voice. It's an echo chamber. Everyone's saying the same thing. They're agreeing with the same thing. You know the term misery loves company? That's a way of creating an echo chamber. You find other like-minded people that complain about the same things, and you go talk about them. You know, when it comes to politics, it's my candidate's the only candidate. You don't talk to anyone that would ever vote for someone else. Why would you ever do that? No, that's not what leaders are called to do. They don't create echo chambers. As a leader, you're going to encounter people that will only want to tell you what you want to hear. You're going to encounter people that have itching ears. You know that term, itching ears? I, I had to look up what it was because I've never used that term before. And itching ears, it's like people that want juicy tidbits of information. They may not be accurate, but they're looking for something new, something fresh, some new idea. And so basically what it ends up doing is we start collecting preachers or teachers that sound good and make you happy. Won't name any names today, okay? So if people are thinking, if you got a name in your mind, you probably already know. But this culture right now has one thing in common that we forget about. It's the choose your own teacher, pastor, leader, and it's widely accepted in Christianity because of the internet. Because you, you don't have to come to a Sunday morning. You know, you can go watch services of like 17,000 churches, right? You can go do that. Because we choose, because of our itching ears, to listen to someone that we want to hear. And that's, that's the struggle as a pastor. So as a pastor, I may never measure up to the, your preacher of choice. You know, like I can, I can watch all these videos and I can get better at what I do, but I may never measure up to that. And that's the thing. There is a difference between just being a, a, a preacher and a pastor. That person on the screen won't be there when you're grieving. They won't be there for your wedding. They won't be there when you're having joyful moments, like having a baby or getting married or, or whatever you're having happen in your life. When you're on a real low that person on a screen can't do that. And I've, I've thought about this a lot because this, this whole concept here that Paul's unpacking, did he know the internet was here? Did he know it was coming? Because I think like we really have an opportunity now to do that. And so, but instead people, instead of looking to a pastor that's physically there and present with them, people are going to start looking and hunting for preachers that they want to believe. They, they have, that say things that they really want to hear. And so this creates this echo chamber that you only listen to those people like you. And so there are so many options on the internet. So many options. You can find a message board for anything. And you can go on there with like-minded people. And if someone says something that you don't like, what do they do? They kick you out of the group. You ever notice that? That's, people do it in high school too, like with, with social groups. And so they never seek out other views. There's no alternative views. If you're in a group, you're just agreeing with yourselves. No room to disagree or dialogue. And then what happens when you're in an echo chamber is as simple as this. You turn away from the truth. These people that had itching ears were turning away from the truth. They wander into myths. It says they wander. And we talked about wandering. I mean, wandering is just like, just unintentional, like, just really chill. We're just, oh, I'm just going to wander. You know, I really like what I'm hearing. So they, they, they wander into these myths, these widely held false beliefs, and then your trust turns from the good news of Jesus Christ into myths. Like, for example, let me, let me share some of the myths that are out there in the world. That if you give money to a church, you in return will get a hundredfold. 
pastor, I just listened to a pastor this week that said this. So if you give money to a church, you're going to get 100 times whatever you give to the church. That is not true. I'm not going to tell you that. That's a lie. That if you all of a sudden, it's this prosperity gospel, that if you do something for God financially, then all of a sudden you're going to be financially stable. That, that's not true. And so we, we've, we want to believe that because we want to be prosperous, but that's not really how it works. And so when we're in this, this, this struggle against myths, we just need to follow and pursue the good news of Jesus Christ. And guess what? It's not an echo chamber because Jesus Christ is all over the world there's so many people serving in different countries. There's different languages, different cultures. But one thing unites us, and that's the gospel. That's, that's Jesus Christ, which is about historical facts. It's not myths. It's not made-up stuff we like. This wandering, though, is just because it's so passive, I think we need to realize something. We need to be active in our faith. I, I personally know that if, if by Wednesday of a week, I know if the week's going to be a real struggle for me, like the whole week. And I know because I know that, as I talked about monkeys earlier, it's like these passive things. I'm just passive about stuff, and then it builds up, and it builds up, and builds up. And next thing I know, I got all these emails to reply to. I got these other things to do, and I, I miss out on what's most important. And so we leaders have an active faith. They're not passive about it. You have to be active. You can't, you can't just kind of like stumble into Christianity. It doesn't happen that way. You can stumble into myths. You can wander into myths. But you, you can't with Christianity and to follow Jesus. Verse 5 starts with, but as for you, you can read that as us. But as for us, sunlight, as for us, be sober-minded always. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. If you're going to be ready, you can't freak out. You know, I've had people tell me that they don't, ex they, they don't expect anything from anybody. They just assume that, that something's going to happen. Well, that's kind of pessimistic. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is be level-headed. Something's going to come your way, and it's going to be unanticipated, and you're going to struggle with it, and you need to be level-headed, and it requires the Holy Spirit. And then it says endure suffering. Let me say this to you. Let the hardships you face for Jesus lead you to prayer and not to despair. If you're, if you're struggling with doing something right, let the hardships that you face for Jesus lead you to prayer and not despair. Because if you're going to despair about something, that's not what you should be despairing about. You should be praying because if Jesus brought you there, he's going to bring you out. That's what we forget. So in, you're going to endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. So I want, I'm going to tell you something. When I hear the word evangelist, it kind of freaks me out just a little bit. Evangelist. I don't know many people that say, I'm an evangelist. That's not what this is talking about here. It's not talking about someone with the spiritual gift of evangelism. It's talking about all of us. But as for all of us, do the work of evangelism and our evangelist. So there's three groups of people that I think we can be good at sharing at. And you might today realize that you're good at one of those groups. There's three types of evangelists. There's ones that reach religious people, and that may mean other religions, or that may mean legalism, whatever it is. These people will be great at sharing the good news of Jesus Christ 
to those that, that focus on that. Then there's the other one, the second one here, the people on the street. And this is, this is people that share during, with other people during the week that you come in contact with. It might be someone that you see regularly, like once a week. It might be you ask them about how their day is, and eventually you find out they have kids. And then eventually you find out more about their life. And, they, and then you realize, I can share the gospel with this person. And so that's, that's a little bit closer to someone with the gift of evangelism. And then there's intellectuals. There's certain people that are so focused on reason and intellectual reasons for God. And I think that's important that we realize that God, God is a God of reason. It makes sense. We may not understand everything, but we, we understand it. And so if you think, which I've thought this before, I'm not an evangelist. If you think I'm not an evangelist, let me tell you something that is going to blow your mind, okay? You're going to get really discouraged if every spiritual conversation you have with anyone your entire life, you expect them to get saved. You expect them to pursue Jesus. You expect to see the next thing happen. But you got to keep planting seeds. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood, and I found out some of my friends that I grew up with got, got saved and, and, and followed Jesus and pursued him years after I knew him. Probably not because anything I did. But that was exciting because when you plant seeds, you got to pray for God to send the rain. The Holy Spirit's the one doing the work. It's not you. You just are a mouthpiece. You're just an opportunity to say something. So to fulfill your ministry means being faithful from the beginning to the end. I have a confession. I scroll Facebook sometimes. Okay, I know. There's no laughter at that. You guys scroll Facebook at all? When you scroll Facebook, every single ad is like the last thing you did, you talked about, which is really creepy. But if I talk about, say, uh, diet or I talk about exercise, guess what comes up? Take this shake and all of a sudden you look like me. You know? Ugh. You know? I'm like, there's no shortcuts. If you're going to fulfill your ministry, there's no drinking a shake. There's no changing your diet, except for the changing your diet to the Word of God. There's no special diet pill. There's no easy way. We all look for shortcuts. And in, in God's kingdom, there isn't shortcuts. And that's why some of us run the other direction. You might be in here this morning and like, I didn't want to hear that this morning. I've already got hard enough life as it is. The reality is fulfilling your ministry, being faithful from beginning to end is the hardest thing possible. Just being faithful. Recently, the Southern Baptist Convention did a survey, and in that survey, it said less than 10% of pastors that start as pastors retire as pastors. If that's the pastors, the ones that, are, that people look to to lead them spiritually, and they're 10%, the road is very narrow to being faithful your entire life. The road is so narrow. And I'm not trying to discourage you right now, but I'm trying to tell you that we have the Holy Spirit, and that's what allows us to be able to do this. And be the person we need to be. And so Paul continues here, though, and I think the, these ending thoughts, verses 6 through 8, are very, very important to us. Because I can tell you some of the things I'm most scared of. I remember being in college, and the thing I was most scared of was being old 
and losing my faith, just completely throwing God out the window. I remember playing this song over and over that was real encouragement to me because I thought, if I listen to this enough, maybe it'll just sink in that I need to stay faithful because every day there's some temptation. Every day there's some reason why I could just throw it all out the window. And I started to realize that those things that, were, that, that God had put in my life that were, that were like that were actually something that he was helping to grow and mature me rather than discourage me. And so Paul here says something that's very somber. And I want you to not take it as as something that is a discouragement, but an encouragement, realizing what it means here. So if you read verses 6 through 8, it says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and at the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me that day, and not only me, but also to those who loved is appearing. Paul is being poured out. He's near the end of his ministry in life. He's departing to heaven soon. There's this idea, if, you, if you've watched uh, Lord of the Rings, they just kind of go out, the elves kind of go out to this endless eternity, and they take this ship. This word departing literally means a ship sailing off to far unknown lands. The concept of pouring out would have been known to the Jews. They would pour out wine after sacrificing a lamb. It was known as a drink offering. And Paul is being poured out. All that said, and this is where it connects to us this morning. What we are doing for Jesus, what we are being for Jesus, is an offering, a sacrifice that is after his ultimate sacrifice. He was the lamb, and we are being poured out as a drink offering afterwards. Think about that. You get to be a part of what Jesus did and is doing. It's exciting. That's why leaders fight for, run to, and keep the faith. They don't just stop. You can't just stop. You can't leave. You know something that I hear? Many times I've heard people say, I'm doing this for my kids. I want to tell you something. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, w- I want you to know that sometimes when we do things for Jesus, it's got to be because we want to pursue Jesus. It can't be anyone else. It has to be us doing it. It has to be us. And that's individuals. I'm saying individuals, but as a, a church, we need to pursue Jesus together. Paul writes this letter, and he's in a hole in the ground in prison. He, he doesn't have any hope. At least the hope that we would think of. If, if one of you were in prison, we'd pray over you. We'd be praying for you. And so he's, he's fighting the good fight. There's lots of things you can fight for. But what Paul is telling us here is there is one good fight. People laugh at you. Guess what? Jesus is there with you. If, if, if you don't know what to do next... Jesus is there with you. Fight the good fight. Fight that fight of faith. And then you run the race. Notice something here, and I I think this is really important. It says run the race. It doesn't say that we need to win the race. It says run the race. Guess what? All of us are not going to be first when we cross the finish line. It's just not going to happen. It just won't happen. We want to, but it's not a competition. It's about finishing the race. Run the race. Keep the faith. I, I don't think I can say this enough. 
It's, it's grasping onto something and not letting go of it. Keep the faith. So keep the passion despite some things that are going to happen. You're going to have trials. You're going to despair. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to encounter hard, hard things. You're going to feel betrayed. You're going to feel that, that you are in a battle and the stakes are really high. You have to keep fighting, keep running, keep going because we are going to see Jesus Christ as he is. Let me tell you this. This, is the, this has been the most encouraging verse to me as I prepared. 1 John 3.2. 1 John 3.2. It'll be up there, but you can turn in your Bible, write it down. 1 John 3.2 says, Believe, or beloved, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we will know when he appears we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. When he comes back, when Jesus Christ comes back, we will see him as he is. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, that's the only thing that keeps the faith. Because we know we will see him as he is. In verse 8, it says we will be rewarded in heaven. The reward in heaven is the crown of righteousness. And we're going to lay that at the feet of Jesus. That's it. That is what we're waiting for. For all those that are faithful to the very end. Those that love Jesus appearing before and in the future when he comes again. Let me tell you something. That last part is easy to forget. That last part, we forget that we're going to see him as he is. White as snow, shining like a bright light. We forget that. Let's go back to what I said in my introduction. Start focusing on the moose, the things that are most important, the non-negotiables, the most important things, and you gotta stop chasing monkeys. That is how we will be ready to preach and found faithful. We gotta stop chasing the monkeys. You can't catch a monkey. You know, people use the term herding cats. It's the same thing. You just can't do it. You're never going to catch all the monkeys. You're never going to herd cats. But I think this is why we forget. You know, I have a tendency, my wife told me a while back, that I get really passionate about something, like a hobby or something, and I, like, move on from it in about two, three months. And you know what? I started realizing that most of our lives, not just my own, we treat like a sprint, we talk about there's a season for this, there's a season for that, and that's great. But we treat it like a sprint, and our faith is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's something that no matter what comes our way, we can cling to and grasp. And so the difference between a sprint and a marathon, and I haven't done a marathon, I'd love to, but I know in a sprint, you don't pace yourself, you just go as hard as you can, as fast as you can, until you can't breathe anymore. You know what you do in a marathon? You run the race. It's not about winning. It's about finishing. And in a marathon, you pace yourself. So church, we need to pace ourselves. We can't just run out of the gate, get super excited about something God's doing, and forget about the fact that it's not just about right now. It's about 10 years from now. 20 years from now. It's about the next generation, the legacy we'll have with that. It's about the community around us. What are we doing? 
that is like a marathon. Pace ourselves. So what? So so if it is a marathon, so what? Leaders always need to be ready to preach the word of God. Guess what? That's all of us. If you came in this morning and you've never pursued Jesus with your life, this is even speaking to you. We always need to be ready to preach the word of God. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter when. There's an opportunity in so many different ways. And then leaders do not create echo chambers but have an act of faith. When we're passive, we will pursue people that tell us what we want to hear. When we're low, we want people to say, no, that other person was wrong. You're not wrong at all. We pursue people that tell us what we want to hear. And so we need to have an active faith. And leaders, we don't fight. We just fight. No, we're not fighting. We're fighting, we're running, and we're keeping. It's not just one thing. It's three things. We have to fight. We have to run. We have to keep. And if I were to tell you that that's easy, it's not. But going back to 1 John 3, 2, it says, because we will see him as he is, we are going to see Jesus Christ as he is. And I'm telling you, none of you are going to have a regret if you're found faithful. No one is. No one is going to have a regret. This morning, remember, you are in a marathon. It's not a sprint. Pace yourself. One little bit at a time. Maybe that, for some of you, that's just starting by tomorrow morning. You open up the Bible and you read for a minute and you realize, I don't understand what this is saying but I'm going to read again tomorrow. It's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just ask, we just ask that you would help us to be found faithful as a church. Help us to be faithful people that are pursuing you with all that we are. Even if we don't, We don't like talking. Maybe we don't like talking in front of people. Maybe we don't like talking to people in general. God, help us to say what we need to say to the people we're around. Help us to preach the word and just start by saying, I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross, was raised from the dead, and he has given me new life, and I've repented of my sin, and he's given me an opportunity to spend eternity with him. God, please help us to be found faithful that when we're old, God, that, that, that we will be seen by the next generation as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Help us to pursue the marathon and forget about the sprint. Help us to run the race. Don't let us try to just win the race. We say all this in Jesus' name.